Hey, welcome to the Communities Podcast. We hope this message will encourage, challenge, and ultimately grow you in your walk with Jesus. Subscribe for weekly messages and share this message with your community. Let's dig in. This morning, uh, I feel in my heart, there was something that we shared a couple of weeks ago when we speak, was talking about uh, spiritual keys. And uh, I said that we would go to spiritual gifts, and then what had happened was the Holy Spirit just led me a different direction, and then I ended up going into a different direction. And so I want to circle back this morning, back to, to uh, uh, spiritual gifts, and I want to talk about gifts. And I want to say, before I say that, I need to lay down some foundation things. Um, we're, we're all good at the back there. Hey, we're all fine. Yeah, good. Thanks, man. Um, the difference between preaching and teaching is preaching goes after your heart. Teaching goes after your mind. And so when we use the word pastor, the Latin word for pastor means one who provides pasture. In other words, one who feeds. So when we're preaching, we're after your heart to impart something into your heart. When we're teaching, we're imparting something into your mind. How a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, Jesus said. Which means that when you give somebody over to fresh pasture, what Jesus is asking for us to do as ministers, that's when he asked Peter in John chapter number 21, he said, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, tend to my lamb, feed my sheep. And what he was after was he saying, give them something new to think about in their hearts, because our man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The interesting thing to note about sheep is that sheep only feeds on new grass. They never feed on old grass. So when Reinhard Bonnke was accused of stealing the sheep of churches, he said, no, I'm not stealing sheep, I'm just giving them new grass. So when God is saying, feed my sheep, he's saying, you've got to give them something new. And the new is when we wait on revelation from the Lord. That's how faith grows. And the teaching, so I always feel bad when I talk about teaching because I feel like, who am I to teach anybody anything? So you must just know my heart. When I come over from a teaching perspective or when I believe to teach you on something, I'm not, I don't, I'm not in any position to teach you anything. I'm just a man like, you know, some of you, because some of you are not men. I just wanted to just make that clear because I think the world is a little confused about that issue. But you get a woman and you get a man. So... I'm going to take it up from 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And this is Paul who's writing to the Corinthian church. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I'm in the wrong place. I'm reading Romans chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Lord have mercy. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And, these are, and there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healings by the same spirit and to the other and to another with the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues but one in the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills for as one for as the body is one and many members but all members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ for by one spirit we all baptized into one body whether jews or greeks whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit for in fact the body is not one member but many and then paul goes on to say is one part of the body greater than the other part of the body now i believe this <clears throat> that god has given us all gifts uh, gifts come by the grace of god they come through grace grace means favor it means undeserved merit and i believe that we are all gifted and i believe that we should all operate within our gift the oftentimes the problem specifically in the pentecostal charismatic church is that we do not understand the governance of the kingdom and therefore we don't understand how to use the gift okay that was a lot more powerful than i thought it was than the way that you are reacting but i'm going to say it again the oftentimes the issue is why we do not use our gifts accordingly is because we don't understand the governance with which we are supposed to use our gift which means that if you don't understand the way that the kingdom of god works you won't understand how to use or utilize the gift that god has given to you so this morning what i would like to do is do a little bit of practical things and i'm going to use warren because he's sitting in front i wanted to use shawl as an example as well and then he ran away to the children's ministry he said he needed to take care of the kids he's going to send Cara. so i'm going to use warren as an example and i'm going to use richard as an example as well and then we're going to just get into some practical things to understand how it works and the reason why i said that is because i'm going to make warren uncomfortable before the time that's why i wanted to point him out to let him know i'm going to use him as an example so when you have different gifts you have different classification of gifts which means you have for example the word of knowledge the word of knowledge and the prophecy falls under the same classification of gifts and having dreams is a prophetic gifting so it falls under the classification and uh, when we start teaching and i'm very excited about that at some stage we will start doing like bible classes and one of the uh, speakers that we're going to have over here in november is a pastor mark hodgett who uh, he is the guy that led up the bible college that I, I basically went through many many moons ago and his bible college is used in uh, uh, unite 180 which is a church anchor church uh, axe church peter defense church and so in november he's going to come around share with some guys and then he's going to to, I'm going to try and twist his arm to be here on the Sunday as well, but I'm sure he'll be here for that as well. And then uh, the other speakers, we're, we're seeing if we can get a guy in from Jeffrey's Bay, and then there's a guy called Adrian Wright, who some of you might know, who's, who's also quite strong theologically. So I'm a bit nervous for bringing those people over because I say things that, that sometimes, sometimes stretches the theology of uh, those who are strict when it comes to doctrinal things. But when it comes to the gifting of things, so when God has given you gifts, he's expecting you to use the gift not for your benefit, but for the church's benefit. So no gift is given to you so that you may be puffed up. 
The difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge, and the TDJX gives the best explanation that I like. Knowledge is to know how to load a gun. Wisdom is to know when to pull the trigger. And oftentimes, the problem with people that have gifts is that they don't always carry the wisdom to utilize the gift, meaning that they don't know when to use it and when not to use it. And one of the things about gifting that you must understand is once God has given you a gift, he never takes it back, which means that once you have given, given a gift, you have, always will have access to use the same gift. Because if God had to remove that gift, then you would have to remove Romans 11.29. It says the call and the gifts of God are without repentance. They are irrevocable. It means that God never gives, takes something away from you once he has given it to you. That's not his nature to take it away once he's given it to you. Which means that once you start operating in a gift, you must know that you always have access to the gift. Okay. Now, what we miss sometimes is to know when to utilize that. Because the focus then becomes on us having a gift instead of to the one whom we're supposed to be serving with a gift. And as a church, what we have done is we have uh, no longer put ourselves out there for the Lord to use us because the focus becomes us. What happens when I say the wrong thing? Who cares if you say the wrong thing? We're all learning. We're all learning. So you need to have the mind of maturity when you want to learn something. So one, I'm going to use some of the gifts as an example. One of them is the word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge basically means um, you get to know something about somebody when you come into the presence of them. In other words, I walk past, uh, I can't use Shoal and Cora, but I'll use Richard and Elka. I walk past Richard and Elka and I immediately pick up there's something wrong in their marriage. Immediately it comes to me. Now that's a word of knowledge. And now this is the issue with gifts. Because God has given you a gift, it doesn't always mean that you need to use it. And you have to wait for the prompting of the Holy Spirit to tell you when to use the gift. And you also have to understand that when God speaks to you, he speaks to you in a way that you may understand. He doesn't speak to you in the way that the person who's receiving what you're going to say understands. So what we have done and being irresponsible and causing a lot of hurt in the church is what we have done is now I'm operating in the word of knowledge as an example. You don't have to pray for Richard and Alka this morning. I'm just using them as an example. But pray for Richard, there's something wrong with his shoulder and it only came after their marriage. I just want to put that out there. So, so now I walk past and I have a word of knowledge. And this is what people do. Because remember, knowledge puffs up. So the minute you think you know something about somebody, you immediately have that pride that comes up inside of, inside of you. That goes, I know something about Richard and Elka. And then we all get weird about it because that's what we do as charismatics as well. We can't just walk past like normal people and just say, hey man, is everything okay? Can I pray for something? We always have to walk past with this, you know, I just feel something in the spirit. Because we make it weird. When the presence of God comes upon us, we sometimes act weird. Because remember, when God selected people, he chose weird, funny people. And he doesn't necessarily change personality when he selects you. He changes character. So God is interested in what's inside of you. He doesn't, he's not interested in the way the package looks. 
So he judges a man according to the heart of man. So when you're operating in a gift, the only way that you get better in the gift is if you use it more frequently. Because you must stretch your gift. And if you go home and you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 dealing with spiritual gifts and then Romans chapter number 12, you will read in the King James translation it says, Thou should covet the gifts. The word covet is interesting because the word covet is root to covenant, meaning that it is in your covenant to have access to the gifts. So when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14 verse 1, he says, Pursue all the spiritual gifts because Paul's heart was for the church. So the gift is for the use of the church, not the use of you. It means it's not for you to build yourself up in the gift. It is for the person receiving the gift. Now, if a person is not in needing of the receiving, what's the point of doing it? And Uncle Fred is here, and I want to use him as an example because he told me a story a while back. I don't know if he remembers it. But every time people see him, they were like, can I pray for your hip? Can I pray for you? And then Fred's like my hips fine just leave me i'm happy the way that i am but we become so zealous that we're so wanting to express or do something that we don't actually check with the holy spirit when we should do something because when you're talking under the uh, the influence of the holy spirit meaning this richard and alka using them as example i pick up that there's a problem in their marriage now nowhere did the holy spirit say to me do anything about it i just knew of it now i have the responsibility what I do with the knowledge. And that is why you require wisdom. How do you get wisdom? Wisdom costs a lot. It's the most expensive gift. James chapter number four. Pray. James chapter number one. Pray. Verse five. And you will receive it. But what's the expense? Faith. Because he who doubts must not think that he will receive anything from God. He is like a ship tossed to and fro on the, salt, on, on the water. When does a ship get tossed to and fro on water? When there's a storm. When it gets difficult in your life. That's when the test comes to know whether you have faith or not. So in other words, when you're struggling, when the bills aren't getting paid, and when things are not working out the way that they're supposed to be working out, that is when your faith is tested the most. And he who does not believe that he will receive anything from God is like a ship on a stormy water. Meaning that when life is hard and you're getting thrown between to and fro, that's when you know that you have been unsettled and you have come to the end of your own faith. Or you've come to the end of believing. Now to access the gifts, you require grace. To access grace, you require faith. It is of grace, so there may be of faith. The more faith I have, the more access to the grace, which means more access to the gifts. When you don't have any faith, you won't pray for any wisdom to be able to utilize a gift. Now, some of you are born into some homes. Now, let me explain how it works. So, some of the stuff I'm going to share, I don't have verses to tie back in the bible i just have experience being experienced under uh, i grew up in a church where supernatural things took place all the time so i'm used to that kind of stuff and there are some things that you pick up when you learn under men of god when you grow up under prophets or you grow up under people where you see legs growing out and you see demons coming out of people you you learn certain things
When you are born into a house where there are people who are called into ministry, naturally your children will receive the blessing. So naturally there is an impartation to anointing, which is an impartation to access of gifts. Meaning some of you will operate in gifts that you didn't necessarily have faith for, but because your father had the faith, all of a sudden the grace gets passed on to you. That's how it works practically, which means that children operating in things that they don't necessarily have wisdom for, where you need to equip them with wisdom. How do you get knowledge? You learn, right? And the issue oftentimes with university degrees is that we've spent a lot of time imparting knowledge, but the same amount of time that you've imparted knowledge, you need time for wisdom. Because what is the point of that knowledge if it isn't utilized to its benefit? Does, am I making sense to some of you? I just want to lay down the foundation here. You, you're staying with me. Don't, don't fall asleep just yet. We'll get to the part where we get to sleep. Right? If you see me dozing off just now, I didn't have a great night. Uh, my, my children are sick. So one was coughing, then the other one was coughing, then one was coughing, then the other one was coughing. So I didn't sleep much. So if you see me dozing off, just light a candle, say amen, and just leave. I'll switch off the lights when I'm done. But when you're imparting knowledge, what is the benefit of the knowledge? Who does it benefit? You, or does it benefit the kingdom? Because as a child of God, you have given everything over to the Lord. Now, I'll keep hammering on this because some of you are looking at me very confused. Some of you go to get degrees, and I have nothing against degrees. I think it's wonderful that you got degrees, but what's the point of your degree if it only will serve you? Because when you have come and given your life over to Jesus, I know some people are in the middle of studying their degree, so they might, this might become uncomfortable for them. But when, you, when you're studying your degree, when you're studying your degree and you've laid your life down for Jesus, and you say, no longer I live, but it is Christ who now lives inside of me, what are you studying that degree for? The Greek word for idiot is somebody who has knowledge that doesn't benefit anybody else. It doesn't benefit the society. It's like when you study political science. What's the point of studying political science? If anybody can tell me. So you have knowledge, but what does it benefit anybody? Some of you have learned things about God, and who does it benefit? Who do you live for? I'm asking some questions so that hopefully that you go home and you may think about it. What does your church get from you except your 10%? What does your church get from you? How much have you given yourself over to the Lord to say, make use of me where you want me? Let me go learn something for what is the benefit of learning this thing if it will only benefit you? Then some of you have lots of knowledge, but you haven't yet acquired the wisdom to unlock that knowledge in how to use it. I hope I'm saying something here. It sounds very, very basic and simple. But I, I hope that you're getting what I'm trying to tell you this morning and what I believe that the Lord wants to impart to you this morning. Is some of you have experiences with God and you have kept it for yourself and, you haven't, and no one else has benefited from it. Paul writes it this way and he says, we are broken bread and poured out wine. I live for you. I live for your benefit. I, in other words, I love what God loves so much 
that I will continuously strive to live for you. Paul is a person who has died and he has seen paradise. He has seen it and he said, it's benefit for me to die. It's for you that I live. It's for your gain that I might continue what I'm doing. Who gets the benefit of everything that God has already imparted into your life? Who benefits from it? In other words, uh, some of you have got um, master's degrees and honors degrees. Some of you, I know, obviously, we've spent time together. There are people who have got aspirations for PhD. What is, who, who benefits from that? Who do you live for? Some of you have got years under the belt of spending time with God, accessing things in the spirit, and you have access to mysteries. Who benefits from that? Who feeds from that? So what was the point of your experience if it was only to puff you up? What was Lucifer chucked out of heaven for? Was it for being gay? Was it for dressing like a woman? Was it for his foul mouth or because he loved to drink or he liked to smoke a little herb? What was he chucked out of heaven for? Pride. What is the one thing that all of us struggle with regardless of how you cut your hair what jacket you wear, how your pants looks. What's the one thing that you struggle with? Self. There are three voices that speak to you. God's voice, your voice, and the devil's voice. The devil's voice will always mask his voice to sound like God or yours. But he will always speak to the pleasure of flesh. He will always make things as comfortable for you as what he possibly can. Because his biggest weapon his biggest way of getting to you is not with his big stick. It's not with the hundreds of demons. It's not with sicknesses and diseases. His biggest weapon is for him to be in your life and you not know it. His biggest weapon is to be in obscurity, to hide in the shadows. Because if imagine what happened, you're sitting and you're having a United Nations meeting. And I brought my political scientist with me. And we're now going to the UN. And all of a sudden, the devil pitches up. There's this old skit from Rowan Atkinson, the guy that plays Mr. Bean. He comes onto stage, and he's got his little red uh, little horns, and he's got his stick, and there's smoke, and there's redness, and there's uh, screaming and stuff. And he comes up with this very dry sense of humor, you know, English humor. He goes, yes, yes, I am the devil. And he comes out. And imagine the devil came into the UN, what would happen? How many people right there would convert to Christianity? Everybody. Because then he would say, if he is real, then that guy must be real. I'm about to give. What's that scripture again? So he will hide. And he will hide in your flesh. And he will hide in places that you cannot see and operate from the shadows. And that's his greatest secret weapon. I know he's going to hate me for sharing that. His greatest weapon, Galatians 5.17, King James says, The spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh lusts against the spirit. That is, these are contrary to one another. That is why you cannot have what you want. Well, that's why you, church, do not get what you pray for, because you're still operating in the flesh and no longer in the spirit. And if the devil can mask himself in the flesh... And he can mask himself in the shadows. He can stay in your life active without you even knowing it. Knowledge puffs up. 
when there is seeking of self, you've got to stop and ask the question, what is the point of this ministry? What is the point of this person accessing the spiritual gift? It's like when you see a person struggling with the weight, they say, can I pray for your back? That's the spirit of suspicion, not the spirit of prophecy. Because you're suspecting that something's wrong. Some of you want the gift of prophecy so that you may snoop in other people's lives. You laugh, but I know people like that. They'll go, I want the word of knowledge. Why? So I know what's going on in somebody's life. For what purpose do you have anything? What is the point of telling you that I'm a prophet? Who does it benefit? Benefits me. Because guess who gets the phone call? And all of a sudden I get a God complex, which every minister struggles with. Every preacher struggles with God complex. Because I become your savior. I have a need that is fulfilled every time you phone me. Because we say we are not Catholic, but you're still coming to the priest. So that you can find out what God is saying. Because I just want to bring someone to the pastor. Because the pastor is the one who can cast out the demons. Is that what your Bible says? So should you be operating in the spiritual gifts that God has endowed and empowered to you? Yes. For what reason? For the benefit of the church. Paul goes so far to say this. He goes, that you all may pray in tongues. And I thank my God that I pray in all, more in tongues than you. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. Then he says, but he who prophesies is greater than he who prays in tongues. Because one who prophesies edifies the church. One who prays the tongues edifies himself. And all the way for you to access spiritual gifting, if you're praying in tongues, there's three reasons why we teach why you pray in tongues. One, so that you may know the will of God. But if you're praying in tongues, here's the crux. You will not know the will of God lest the Spirit of God in you reveals to your soul mind what the will of God is. Meaning that you have to become sensitive to when he speaks. So one of the reasons is so that you may know the will of God. Where can you find that scripture? Romans chapter number 8. The second reason why you pray in tongues is so that you may build yourself up in the most holy faith. That is the book of Jude. There's only one chapter. It's before the book of Revelation for those who are making notes. So you will find it there. And then the third reason why we pray in tongues is so that we may know the mysteries of God. What is the point of a mystery? So the point of a mystery is number one. For God to reveal himself in the mystery, because it is God's glory, book of Proverbs, to hide himself. It's a king's glory to find him. You are called to be a king in the kingdom. So God will speak to you in a mystery to, reveal, to hide himself so that you may be glorified. He keeps himself away so that you may find him, because God is a sneaky person. I want to say that. Remember, he came as a Jew. Can we really trust Jesus is what I'm saying. He's sneaky. The one thing that I struggle with, for example, is to be thankful. I struggle to be thankful. Can I confess my sin? I struggle to be thankful. One of the things I, I struggle with. And then I hear in the Bible it says, give thanks in God in everything for this is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> and I'm like, why should I say thank you? I didn't choose to be born in this condition. If it was my choice, I would have been born in Adam's situation where we didn't fall from sin. But now I'm being born into sin. Why should I be thankful? I didn't put myself here. I didn't choose the country. I didn't choose my family either. Now I've got to be thankful. You're, that was you. That you chose that. And this is what God does. He's sneaky like this. He lets you live your life the way you choose and the way you see fit. And he himself also stays in the shadows. Why does he stay in the shadows? So that 
it will be for your glory when you find him because you are rewarded for your faith. Blessed is he who has not seen and yet believes. So then he hides himself from you and then says, you must come and find me. And why are we playing games now? I know a good you know, counselor if you need to see one, right? So now he hides himself and the devil will always try and be like God. That's, remember, that's the idea of the devil. He wants to be like God. So everything that God does, the devil will try and mimic. Okay. So then what God does is he lets you bump your toe. He lets you fall and then says, don't worry, I got you. And then all of a sudden I fall in love with him. Because every single time I think I'm a superstar, I'm always in the gym. I look good. I've got that beach body. I used to have, don't judge me. Joshua's like, I can't see it. I used to have it. I, I promise you, I used to have a beach body, right? When my older brother used to see me in the beach and I used to do body surfing and he would come to the coast, he would start running to me because he's skinny like Ruan. He would say, come, help me push him back in. Beached whale, if you didn't get it. So, so I used to have a beach body, right? And I used to be strong. And then I got a virus that was so microscopic, you needed a microscope to see it. I hit the floor. I start seeking him and I'm praying. And the more I'm praying, the worse my life's getting. And the more I'm seeking him, the worse my life gets. And every single time I think, yes, I just, I got it right. I'm clean from sin. I'm a superstar. I'm standing up. I'm like six weeks and I haven't sinned. Yeah. And I'm dancing, you know. And all of a sudden, boom, flesh comes in and I fall. And I think he's going to kill me now. And God's like, no, why would I kill you? I love you. I'm here for you. And I'm like, oh man, now I love him even more. And now I love him even more. And the closer I get to him, the more I begin to see how bad I was. And I begin to love him even more because he chose me even as bad as what I was. And then I begin to thank him. And then all of a sudden, I'm thankful for everything that I have. And I'm like, you set me up. But I love you and I'm going to stick with you anyway. And he said, Nicholas, I love you and I'm going to stick with you anyway. That's why the gifts of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable. So his heart is to give you. If God would not withhold his own son from you, what do you why do you think that he will withhold anything else if you ask him? The most precious thing that he had was his son. Why would he withhold anything else? So when you are given a gift, the gift should be directed to the object of his affection. Who's the, his affection? You are his affection. You are his affection. So when he gave Richard a gift, he gave Richard the gift for the benefit of Warren. He gave Richard a gift for the benefit of Keanu. He gave Richard the gift for the benefit of Ruan. He didn't give the benefit for you. So when you are operating in a gift and when you desire gifts, the way to get the gift, I'm going to give you a secret here. They don't teach this in Bible college. You don't read it in any book. But if you want gift, the quickest way to get them is begin to love what he loves. Because the more you love what he loves, the more he gives you gifts for you to take care of the things that he loves. So if I want prophecy, not so that I may know what's going on in Shane's life, so that I may build up the church, because what is the point of prophecy? 
now let me give you help you out here the greek word for prophecy is is on uh, language is very complex because language changes in terms of the way that you use it meaning that when you're defining a word you can't define a word in, in isolation you've got to understand the context in which it's used in order for you to define it properly let me give you an, an example in afrikaans <coughs> the yere het die aarde geskep now translate that directly back into english the lord created the earth right so I had to change two words around there to make sense. To ek uit die water het gekom, to skip ek awesome. Now use the same way that you translated words there to translate what I just said. You said well, he came out of water and he created it. What? No, he, he scooped it. He scooped air. Do you see how the word geskep changed its meaning? So in Greek and Hebrew you have many such examples. In Greek when I say evcharisto, it's just to say thank you, you say parakalo, which means say pleasure. But if I say parakalo and then I tell you what to do, I'm saying please. It's the same word. But it's changed its meaning. So unless you speak the language, you'd understand the context. That's why rabbis continuously sit together, even to today, still debating what the meaning of the word is. Because there are more exceptions in Hebrew than there are rules. So in English, for example, the rule in English is you cannot start a sentence with and. It's a rule. What is the exception? If it's a sonnet or a poem or a psalm, that's the exception. You understand? You're following. So in Hebrew, there are more exceptions than rules. Which means that if I use a particular word, you, it can mean multiple things. That's why the King James Bible in itself, 1611, is a miracle. Because they didn't have access to the internet and Jews and Christians were not speaking together at the same time. Because when you read the Hebrew manuscript, you will read in the beginning God created the earth, right? That's what it says, Genesis chapter number one. But in the Hebrew manuscript, there's another word for the word word. That they didn't translate because they couldn't make sense of it. The word word. Remember John chapter number one, in the beginning was the word. Where did he get that from? Hanging out with Jesus. He got it from Genesis chapter number 1. Because in Genesis chapter number 1, if you read it in English, it says in the beginning, through the word, God created the earth. Well, I thought that was pretty good. I don't know if you feel like upping your tithes this month, but I thought it was pretty good. So, <clears throat> anyway, back to the gifts. When you understand governance and you understand the rulership of how God operates, you understand how to use the gift in its context in which God wants to use it. God will only endow gifts in the period or in the time that the church finds itself in. So when God gives us certain gifts, he is expecting us to use these gifts in the time that it is made in. When Jesus himself defined prophets and he said, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet. How, why did Jesus make that statement? But because it's Jesus, we can't say, oh, this guy doesn't know doctrine, doesn't know theology. What did John the Baptist prophesy about? Because the first definition of the Greek word for prophecy is to predict. What did John the Baptist predict? Nothing. Nada. He didn't predict next. The one thing that John the Baptist did was when Jesus was hiding himself. Remember, it's the nature of God to hide himself. Because the Bible says there was no beauty inside of Jesus that anyone would behold him. He was nothing special. He was a five foot five Jewish boy. We don't know if he was ugly or if he was good looking, but there were no women around him that loved him, that wanted to hook up with him. Think about it. He's 30 years old. 
He's single. I'm just putting it out there. Think about it. He played with the other boys. They must have laughed at him when he had two left feet when you're trying to kick a soccer ball. Think about it. He had a life just like everyone else. He came in your form. And then John the Baptist says, Behold. Remember, John the Baptist is his cousin. So they went to family parties, hanged out, went to the same feasts. Behold the lamb who takes away the sin. And he, Jesus turns around and says, Greatest prophet. Come on, Jesus. There's Ezekiel, the New Testament-like prophet who operated in such a way he saw the wheel within the wheel. He saw all these eyes and angelic beings and the God even picked him up by his head and moved him. Then there was Isaiah, the eagle-eyed prophet, the one who prophesied the most about the coming of the Messiah. Then there was Jeremiah, the wailing prophet, who, who would then stand in the gap for Jerusalem. Then there was Hosea, Haggai, Amos, Habakkuk, don't forget about the guys that called fire from heaven, Elijah and Elisha, the double tag team, world champs. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is like, greatest prophet. Come on, Jesus. Seriously. How do you define prophecy? One who can point out the movement of God. One who can point out that this is the next move of God. What happened to John the Baptist? He got beheaded. Why was he beheaded? Because there was a new head in town. Jesus says, I have no place to lay my head because I need a mature body. Who's the body? You are the body. The church is the body. So John the Baptist had to be beheaded because John the Baptist, he represented Old Testament prophets. And he had to be removed because now the Son of God was in play. So he had to take his head out. So how does God determine prophecy? Is it so that you may predict what's going to come? Or that you may be able to see this is God moving? How does he define it? Context is everything. They say this, you can't teach people to prophesy. And this is where I, I challenge theologians because, because if I can teach you to hear the voice of God, my sheep hear my voice, I can teach you to prophesy. Because the testimony of Jesus is prophecy. So if I can show you that this is the movement of God, then I am surely prophesying and telling you that God's on the move. I don't know, is this helping anybody? Is this good? So when we use gifts, we use it to edify the body of Christ. The Bible goes on further in 1 Corinthians 14 that you shouldn't prophesy to an unbeliever, but you should prophesy to a believer only. Why should you be prophesying to a believer? Because when I'm praying for someone, and I want to pray for Michael who's sitting in the front, and I want to begin to pray for him, I want to build him up in Christ Jesus. What does his future look like when he's in Christ? You're going one way, brother. It's up. You're seated in heavenly places already. God has already loved him. He's part of the beloved. He's baptized into the body. How difficult is it to give him a prophetic word? Now, I'm not saying that you guys should walk around and start giving people a prophetic word. I'm not saying being reckless. What I'm saying to you is if the focus is first to build him up in the body, how difficult is it for God to endow with me gifts for me to minister to him? Because what is the object of his affection? What is the object, object to my ministry? Is it to puff myself up or is it to build him up? If it is to build him up, I have access to gifting that God will give to me. That's how these things work. I hope I'm helping somebody.
How do you use your gift? You use your gift through the application with which the gift is used. In other words, when you have wisdom, and I can't at the moment deal with every single gift, so I'm just going to go on to the word of knowledge. When I operate in the word of knowledge, and God reveals something to me about somebody, my, because I care for the person, what do I want to do? I, I explained this to Warren Bianca. Warren, if you don't mind standing up, I think I'll just come to the stage so that I can use you as an example. The one thing that women mostly do, oftentimes, just face them, the one thing what women do is when a man stuffs up, I'm going to be the woman because I'm good, better looking than what he is. So I'm going to be a woman, right? The one thing that women do, and they're guilty of this all the time, and if you are, the, uh, if you are guilty of this, then cease for you. Né? This is me rebuking you and telling you to repent and confess right? and turn from your wicked ways. Right? So what women do is when a man messes up, and this happened in the Bible times, that's why Paul tells Timothy that you shouldn't give women authority or you shouldn't allow women that they should sit in silence and learn. The reason for that is because in the Bible times, because of the freedom and the deliverance that God brought, what men were doing or what women were doing is they were going publicly and scorning their husbands in front of everybody. That's what they were doing. So what women do is when he messes up, now we're married. And we've been married for longer than five minutes. So, you know, honeymoon phase is over. So now what happens is, <clears throat> now he, be, he messes up. And the one thing that women do is they go and tell all the friends about it. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, like when he left. I don't know what a woman complained about. There's so many times I just have switched off. But so that's a joke. My wife's watching for online. So... <laughs> I love you, baby. So, you've never done this to me. So, when, 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 when the man messes up, what is the one thing women do? They expose him. And what is your job as a wife? Your job as a wife is to cover him. So, when he's got an open wound, I'm not supposed to go, ha! How does it feel? Because we all have weaknesses. We all trip up. What is the role of a wife? She's supposed to go and say, I got you covered. I got you covered. Right? Now, me as the woman, obviously, because women don't falter, so it's difficult for us as men to cover you. But when you do, by chance, falter, it's a miracle in itself. <laughs> but when you do falter, the first thing that a husband is supposed to do is to cover the wound, not expose it. So, what do you think God's heart is towards his church? Thanks, Warren. What do you think his heart is? Is his heart to go, ha ha, he sinned? Or is his heart to cover it? Love covers a multitude of sins. And when you have a gift and a word of knowledge and you know that Richard has messed up this week, who messed up this week? Let me take a look. Monet is just like me. Don't even have to look further. His heart, God's heart, is not to set up and say, Richard, you sinned. Confess now your transgression in front of the whole church. What is God's heart? You know about that thing that you need to deal with. You know what that thing that doesn't please him. You know about it. I'm here in agreement with you to intercede for you, to pray for you, to cover you, so that you can come back and the way you're going to come back is if i help you because every time i sin i fall from the place that i am seated which means i fall down and the heart of god is to pick someone up so when you have a prophet 
who stands in front and says, Ha! That one. He got up into stuff. You know that this is not from God. That is not God's heart. You might have a gift, but it's not God's heart. Because you don't have the wisdom to apply it. You need wisdom to apply the gifting that God has given you. Now everything that God speaks, when I come up to somebody and I, and I use them, uh, and I say, for example, Richard, let me use Joshua because I don't know him. So I'm going to use Josh as an example. So here, he came to me in this week. He didn't come to me. What I mean by that is the Lord placed him on my heart this week. right? And the minute I thought about him, when I saw him last Sunday, I glanced at him. And I don't know him. right? I really don't know him. This guy, I'm just going to call you out. This booger, he is going to be financially blessed in the future. Because he places the things of God first. Now, whenever I've given somebody a word, anybody gives anybody a word, the first check is in your heart. In other words, it must confirm what God's already spoken to you. It must confirm that that desire is there for him. This guy has given to the Lord. I don't know if he gives to this church. I don't know. I don't know if he's given money. I don't know how much money he's given. I don't know. But this guy has given a lot of things to the Lord over the years. And the Lord is rewarding him and will set him up financially for a financial blessing. Does your heart agree with what I've said to you? Right. You don't mind me calling out like that. So now his heart agrees with this. Now how does the word is established? Two or three witnesses. Witness number one. Witness number two. A word is established. How do you fight the devil? Through the word. What word? Does it mean this? Does it mean me throwing the Bible at someone? Or does it mean the word that he promised me? So when things go financially difficult, I don't know what work you do, but when it goes difficult and the challenges come because it will change because you are on a cusp of changing. So when it, when it comes and it's hard and his wife is sitting with him saying, baby, where's the bread? You know, man's supposed to be providing. And now Joshua is standing there. What is the word he's supposed to fight? the devil with he's supposed to go back to the word that God placed in his heart that financially there will be a blessing so what does he begin to pray I thank you Jesus for the financial blessing that is coming in Jesus mighty name thank you Lord that I can leave this at your feet because I agree with the word that you have spoken one witness two witness and then his wife is three witness do you see how it works so okay so you see how it works so when why am I saying this? Is because you've got to go back because there are people in this church whom God has given words to in the past and it hasn't come past yet and you've been wondering about it and you've been, you've been thinking, uh, I'm disappointed in God, I'm disappointed in me, I must have messed up, I must have done something. And it's not that you have messed up or missed it. It's the word is still there for you to access. So you need to go back and bring God into remembrance of the word that he has spoken to you and get yourself an agreement and get people around you to pray. Am I speaking to anybody? So the thing that the Lord is saying to you is, don't, don't look at, at the past and think it's gone now. There is words that has accessed you. Now I'm going to give you another example. And, and prophets are very guilty of doing this. I was called out a, a couple of weeks ago. I went to another church and a, a great man of God, he called me out and he prayed for me. 
And if you listen to the word now, because I've been trained, I, can, I listen to the word and I could discern the word. But he listened to the word and you've got to listen to when the prophet is speaking to you. Because he says things over and over and over. And he says certain things for certain reasons. So what they do is every word that a prophet speaks to you isn't necessarily a prophecy. Sometimes it's just his faith or her faith trying to pray something because they have seen the issue. So what the guy said to me was he said to me, he said, you're flat and you're tired and you're standing at a fork road. You're standing at a fork and you've got to make a decision. And, 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 we, and then he said, seven days it will come. Now nowhere did he say, thus saith the Lord. So now you don't know, was this God or was this him? Secondly, now seven days goes past and what happens? Nothing. Nada. There's no answer. No dream. No nightmare. No vision. None of you came up to me to give me a word. So this is me telling all of you. You know. I'm expectant. That's all I'm trying to tell you. Right? So then what happens is he says to me, seven days. Now seven days goes past and nothing happens. Is God a liar? You gotta listen. Was it God saying to me seven days? You see, I was flat. Yes, I am at a fork road. But nowhere did God tell me in my heart in seven days, I'm going to give you an answer. And where people get reckless is they go, seven days happened, nothing happened, I'm going to give this whole thing up. How many of that has happened? How many friends do you know that have stopped believing in God because of things like that? Because they didn't discern the word. They didn't discern what was happening. So you must understand when someone comes to you that has a gift, you must first check with your own heart. Is this from the Lord or not from the Lord? Because this is also what another man did to me years ago. He said to me, stop playing the low key. You need to come out. You need to come to the front. In other words, what he was telling me is stop being in obscurity. Come out to the front. And I had this resistance. That's why I always sit at the back of the church to come out to the front. Because unless it's your time, then you should come out to the front. I require wisdom to interpret what was the person was telling me. Can you back that up biblically? I'm glad you asked me. John chapter number 7. Jesus' natural brothers said to Jesus, Why don't you go forward so that these people will know who you are? And then Jesus says to his brothers in John chapter number 7, Your time is always ready. My time is not yet. A second time, they try and stone Jesus for what he was saying. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, a little bit further on, if you read on, he, all of a sudden, the Bible says Jesus disappeared amongst them and they couldn't find him. Think about it. Jesus is in a crowd. He's tuning them, giving them a hard time. And all of a sudden, he disappears? What witchcraft is this? Why? Because it isn't his time. Jesus had 30 years of preparation. Nobody knew him. 30 years of preparation for a three-year ministry. I've seen men over the years come before their time and then they die or they land up in divorce or the ministry kills them because they had a gift. People saw the gift. They became, hmm, he's got a gift. Let's exploit him. I mean, use him for the benefit of the church. And then what happens? He operates in his gift and he doesn't carry the wisdom to manage the gift. And all of a sudden he crushes and they make him a 21 years old a pastor, bring him to the front and say, every single time you must pray, get the 21 year old and pray. And, and all of a sudden he's laying hands and he's still trying to keep his marriage together. Then he had a baby and it's his first one. He has no idea what he's doing. He put the nappy on the head instead of the bum. And all of a sudden things are going wrong. And then the person falls apart and then we go, uh, 
you see, he wasn't really called. He wasn't really chosen. Because they will use your gift. They will use your gift for themselves. For, to make their name great. And as leaders, the Bible says, the bishop and the deacon, which we believe are the officers in a church, are chosen by character, not by gifting. To tie back to what Shaul was telling us earlier, is that as leadership, you are responsible to steward the gifts that God has given to the body, not be gifted yourself. I'm saying that so that it may stick with you because some of you think I can't be chosen for leadership because I'm not gifted. Cease for you. That's not what your Bible says. Your job as a leader is to take care of the sheep. Give them fresh pasture. Bring them into places where they can eat, get revelation and be filled. Your job is to steward what God has placed inside of them. Not for you to pull it out and exploit it. And there are people sitting in this church that got hurt because of what happened in the past with church because you were exploited because you were gifted. And you came too early because you didn't stay in obscurity because a prophet came to you and said, you mustn't be in obscurity. That was from the flesh, my brother. I don't care what kind of prophet you are. That wasn't what the Lord told me to do. Anytime any person gives you any word, whether it be the working of miracles, whether it be gift of healings, whether it be a word of knowledge, whether it be a dream, you always take it to God. And you always test it. And if you don't agree with it, all you do is you go flip on the shelf. If it's from the Lord, it'll come to pass. I don't need to chase it. Because it's the word that will find you. You don't find the word. You don't need to make prophecy work in your own life. The prophetic word will work. The Lord taught me this very early when I gave my first prophetic word to a stranger. I walked into a home cell and I went and I prayed. I felt so on fire. And I prayed. And then I walked away and God said to me, everything you said will not happen. And I was like, ah, false prophet. Fire. Jesus, forgive me. And I went to the Lord and I said, why? Because here's the other thing about gifting you must always know. The Lord said, he will choose to do the opposite. God will never override your choice. In order for the word to have come to pass, I need agreement. If I don't have agreement, the word won't come to pass. And oftentimes when you get given a word, there is still work that is required. Then I must come into agreement for the word to come to pass. And if it is of God, it will come to pass. I hope I'm helping somebody here.